Look, um, I love Julia's story, and that's why I wanted to show it. Um, I love all of our stories, actually, and um, I'm really inspired by it. And um, oh, here we go. And I love that we're all on a spiritual journey. We are all walking towards God and where he wants us to be. And um, oh, I was meant to cry at the end of the talk, not the beginning of the talk. So, woo, um, oh yes, thank you. The pointer stops me crying. Um, all right, so where are we? So look, it actually reminds me of another story about how someone's inner life transformed their outer life. And I love that idea that we can have an outer life that is disconnected. Well, I don't love that idea, but it's a reality. And that our inner life can be transformative. Um, so look, it reminds me of a story, uh, an old story, one that you may not have heard. Um, I thought I'd share it to start with. So um, it was the early Middle Ages. So this is the days of the Roman Empire. In fact, the end of the Roman Empire, because it was divided, it was breaking apart, it was falling into chaos. And the once glorious capital of Rome uh, was actually sacked. It was sacked by Visigoths to, to first, with it, was, it was pillaged, it was burnt on fire. And then in the, in the years that followed, there were you know, raiding barbarian tribes from the Germanic peoples who came in and flooded the capital again and again. Um, Rome was in disarray, the empire was falling apart. Um, people fleed for safety wherever they could. Roads and aqueducts, they were falling apart. Food was in short supply. Uh, the military had collapsed, state borders were no longer well-defined. Even the great Athenian schools of philosophy, which had existed for thousands of years, were closing and people were forgetting to learn how to read and write. It's amazing, isn't it, if you think about it? Um, nothing could be taken for granted, not family, not state, not vocation, and everyone did what they could to survive. And into this cultural storm entered a man, a young man, named Benedict. Now, Benedict was born in Italy about 480 AD from a wealthy family, and he was disillusioned by the decay of Roman society. He basically realized that his wealth had been an illusion, and he wanted something deeper. He realized that his outer life uh, was, or had been great, but it was so fleeting, and he wanted to discover an inner life. And so he went on a journey. He became a hermit, and he ended up, he ended up living in a cave for a number of years. And during this time, Benedict matured in character, he matured in spiritual insight, he learned to pray, he learned to fast, he learned to address his inner world in silence and in solitude. Eventually, he was called by God to leave his cave in Subiaco, in Rome, or in Italy. He um, chose 12 followers, so apprentices, and formed a monastic community. And eventually, after a number of years, that became the Order of St. Benedict. Now, Benedictine communities, as they became known, organized around a rule of life and around the motto, Ora et Labora, which is Latin for pray and work. Now, rules, um, rules of Benedict allowed monks to live a fairly distinctive life. They lived distinctively and differently than the culture around them that was falling apart. And at the same time, they engaged very heavily in culture and connected with it and blessed it and served it. So in the sense of work and prayer, and prayer and work, they became this simple pattern, a cadence of meaning and community for those who wanted to engage in the spiritual practices of St. Benedict. How are we going? We're okay? All right. Um, so this created a rhythm. It created a rhythm and it created a ritual. It created predictable patterns. It created a spiritual community that then transformed society. So the practices of Benedict for us, they might seem 
overly restrictive, they might seem pretty unusual. So the monks, this is amazing, they had eight hours every day for prayer. I only pray for six and a half every day. So, I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> um, I'm joking. Um, they had eight hours for sleep, and they had eight hours for manual work, sacred readings, and acts of charity. But we've got to remember their context. So the context was the world was falling apart. And these rhythms gave the monks uh, stability and order, but it also created order and stability for European society as a whole. So according to historian Dwight Longnecker, by fleeing civilization, Benedict actually saved it. For it was the monasteries of Benedict that eventually preserved the culture of the ancient world. So monasteries are the reason we have literacy, philosophy, and poetry. They stimulated and they rebooted the economy. Um, philosophers and economists say that basically capitalism began because of the monasteries. Uh, it never existed beforehand. Um, they baked bread. The monks crafted beer. They sold cheese. They raised sheep. They hosted guests. It was really the first Airbnb for the ancient peoples. Um, so basically there were thousands of communities that formed across Europe. Um, and eventually, uh, they started to create order and stability within chaos. Uh, Rodney Stark, a prominent sociologist, argued... So this sound is feeling funny for me. Is, is, it, is it okay for you? It is? Okay, great. So fall back. Um, so Rodney Stark argues that um, Benedict is the reason that Europe didn't fall apart in the Dark Ages. His rule of life and communities created social conditions that led to the formation of democracy, freedom and equality in the West, which we wouldn't have had uh, had that not happened. So that's not bad for a simple rhythm of work and prayer and rest, is it? So a predictable pattern which created a counter-cultural community that created hope in an otherwise disordered world. I mean, I'm quite inspired by it. I have been inspired by it, and we have too. So look, even though this was a different time and it was a different place, the rhythms of Benedict still have relevance to us today. I mean, I don't follow, I'm not a follower of Benedict, but I'm inspired by the idea that simple patterns of rest, of work and prayer can transform a society. So for years, a bunch of us um, have been trying to create rhythms of shared life and community and spirituality in the suburbs. We've been learning to eat together, uh, pray together. Um, we've been learning to serve together and learn and share together uh, as a habit and as a rhythm week in and week out. And it's been creating a cadence of community life that is somehow doable for busy individuals uh, who are frantic and yet at the same time are longing for spirituality and spiritual formation in everyday life. We certainly don't pray for eight hours a day. You know, the uh, Risenvale guys only pray for like 10 minutes. We pray for you know, 45 hours. No. But um, we, we, we all pray a little bit. We all eat a bit. But it, it, when, you, when you repetitively and continually live in this rhythm of work, of prayer, of rest, something happens over time. It does form you. And you find something happens that transforms you. And that's what we, we've been discovering. Um, yeah, thanks. Okay. So, rhythms of, um, rhythms of rest, uh, community, spirituality. In reality, what we found is we want them, but these things are really hard, aren't they, in our Western context. It's really hard to do life and share it together. We need help, we need guidance, we need assistance. And, and so for us, our help and our guidance is not Benedict, 
I mean, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who inspired Benedict. It's Jesus who inspires us to live out a life uh, that looks rhythmical. And it's why we started this new community, to share some of what we've learned with others as well. So a question that lies at the heart of Together Church and why we're starting this service is this question. What does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower, a learner, a disciple? Uh, It's a big question. It shapes why we do what we do. And a second question that follows this, you know, not just the question, how do we be an apprentice? How do we live in his ways? How do we live in his rhythms? How do we live in his practices? But the second question is, how do we do it together? Because that's the hard, that's the tough bit. Um, How do we eat and pray and learn and serve together in a loving, sustainable, life-giving, communal way? So we're going to continue exploring this idea of apprenticeship uh, and rhythms over the next year um, because we found it valuable and we want to continue exploring it with you guys. Does that sound okay? Yeah? Okay. So look, but there is a problem and I acknowledge there's a problem. You know, community, community is amazing. Everyone wants community and rhythms of life they're great. They sound excellent. And look, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm, you can probably buy the idea of becoming an apprentice of Jesus in order to help shape your spiritual formation. But uh, the challenge really, if we really look deep down and ask the hard question is, how the hell am I going to do it when I'm so very, very busy? It's, it's actually busyness in our world that is just a killer for spirituality. It's a killer for community. It's, it's a killer for trying to do life together. It's a killer for apprenticeship with Jesus. It's really, really tough, and all of us are struggling with it. Um, you know, we don't have Visigoths kind of hoarding uh, the hills of Hobart and you know, attacking us, but we do have busyness, and it's really tough. So um, it leads to stress, anxiety, burnout, isolation. I mean, I'm sure you know this. You've experienced it yourself. As Jules said, it's possible to have everything working on the outside, but on the inside to be struggling with yourself because of that constant churn of busyness. Um, now, I've, I've met lots of people. I've heard this from at least three or four people when I've had an honest conversation about their life and busyness. And they've said again and again that if I was to... I, I, I don't like being busy, but I, if I stopped and was not to be so busy, then anxiety and fear and worry, all this stuff from my inner life starts to churn up and kind of rise to the surface, and therefore I choose to stay busy. And I think that's, that's something that's in our culture. We just go and go and go and go, and we find it really hard to stop, myself included. So look, when I'm, um, when I'm not a pastor, I work uh, in business. I'm a strategic and productivity consultant. I train, I coach leaders, CEOs, executives, um, you know, school principals, managers, etc. And I, I talk about how do you make space in the busyness of everyday life. And um, what's interesting is I hear a lot of stories from people all around uh, well, Melbourne, Tasmania particularly, and those stories usually relate to the pain and the struggles and the difficulties of busyness. And um, I've noticed that um, you know, even though a lot of these guys, or women, men and women, have very busy jobs, you know, emails, tasks, to-dos, etc., Um, even when they hit their weekends, they find it hard to stop and truly rest. Uh, And I'm the same. You know, we have soccer engagements, birthday parties. We have um, 
I don't know, there's Netflix, there's social media, there's just so many competing things, there's Renos, that, that we can sometimes not just be busy at work, but hit our weekends and find that we're actually exhausted at the end of our weekend. Even if we're having fun for the whole weekend, we can actually finish the weekend and feel like our soul is depleted, that we don't actually have deep, heartfelt, spiritual rest. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just so endemic. And so... Um, one of the things that's so important is to rethink the meaning of rest in our culture. And this is where Jesus can absolutely transform our lives because he has a different way of thinking about busyness and he has a different way of thinking about rest. And if we can learn from him, then he can actually transform our lives and help us to walk into a new rhythm, a new pattern that allows us to be apprentices of Jesus. So he, um, in the book of Matthew... Too far. So in the book of Matthew, which is one of the accounts of Jesus, there are four um, documents that record the life of Jesus in what we call our New Testament. And uh, so Matthew was a tax collector. Uh, he was uh, a sinner and he got to know Jesus and had his life transformed. And so he wrote down the account of, of what he heard and saw knowing Jesus personally. And so this is what Jesus says. He said, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, but my burden is light. I mean, I really love, I've always loved this passage. It's beautiful, it's rich, it's freeing, it's a beautiful promise. And... Um, but that's about all I've taken it as until recently. Because if I'm really honest, I would read this passage and you go, oh, that sounds nice, Jesus. That makes me feel really good. And then I move to the next passage. But I never actually believed that it was possible in my life with kids and family and job and church and everything I do to actually experience what I read here. That my, my yoke, that, that I might experience rest for my soul, that I might find that there is an easiness and, and a, a burden that is light because of Jesus. Do, do you know what I mean? We can read it, but how do you actually apply it in practice? And so it's only been the last few years where I've actually taken Jesus seriously because someone said, no, when Jesus says something, it's actually true. It's not just like something you see on a Hallmark card. And so I started to work out, well, what does it look like to live in rest? What does it look like to create a rhythm of rest? And, and this passage has actually transformed my life and I really want to talk about it with you and explain what I've seen. So let me explain how it works. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. So basically come to me if you're exhausted, if you're knackered, if you're tired, if you're anxious, if you're worried, uh, if you're afraid and I'll get rest. And that's what Jesus said. It's, it's not complicated. It's a straight out promise it's face value. Um, he invites you to come to him and experience something different with your life. Now, it's simple. But the pragmatist in me says, it's a bit too simple. <laughs> like, how does it actually work? How is it actually possible to experience what he's saying? And so if we want to unpack that, we need to go a little bit further in the passage because the rest of it talks about the how. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if we're going to understand this passage, firstly we have to understand what is a yoke? And how does a yoke help you to be less busy? All right. And so the thing about it is, in ancient times, uh, people were much more familiar with what it 
what this language was about. I mean, uh, people didn't work on computers, they were agrarian, they worked in farms, and so they understood the analogies that Jesus was talking about, and therefore it helped us to understand what he was on about in this passage. So farmers, like they do today, they would till the land. So they would turn soil and, up, and break it up in order to then plant seeds. And, um, and so what a farmer would do is uh, they would have oxen and they would put a yoke over the oxen's neck attached to a plough and the, the oxen would walk the field and break up the soil. It was quite hard work. It was heavy, dry Israeli soil. Um, And so when Jesus talks about a yoke, he's not talking about a single yoke, he's talking about a double yoke, where an inexperienced or younger ox would be yoked with an older, more experienced ox who knew what it was to work and create a rhythm throughout the day. See, younger oxes, they would just go for it. They'd be fast, they'd be furious, they'd break up the ground, but then they'd kind of go everywhere. They wouldn't be focused and they'd be exhausted by like, you know, 10 o'clock, I don't know. You know they, they, would, they would get tired pretty quickly. And if you could yoke an, a younger ox to a, an older ox, then the older ox would actually pace and train the younger ox to walk in its rhythm, to walk in its pace day in, day out. It learnt to walk in the rhythm of work throughout the day. Uh, it learnt to pace itself. It learnt to also work in a way that wasn't exhausting because the older yoke, or the older oxen, who was stronger and more experienced would actually take the bulk of the load off of the shoulders of the younger ox. So it was a pretty good deal. So like an apprenticeship, the younger ox learnt the rhythm and the pattern to work differently by being yoked to an older ox who took the lead, who took the load, and who took the weight of the responsibility. I think it's a really nice analogy when you think of it like that. It's actually quite beautiful. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls, he's actually inviting us to yoke ourselves to him, to give him the weight of our struggles and responsibilities to allow ourselves to be apprenticed to him. Eugene Peterson, who writes a translation of the scriptures in modern English, writes this beautiful translation. So it's the same passage, taken again from the Greek, but written in a way that kind of makes sense to modern hearers, uh, listeners. And he says, Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, I love this line. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. It's beautiful. Jesus is inviting us to apprentice ourselves to him, to walk in his rest, so he can work with us and allow us to walk in his rest. It's kind of a transfer. So it's not actually about working harder in our own strength. It's actually about learning to walk in his rhythms, his pattern, his grace. And as we do so... We live in a way that is less exhausted but still productive, a way that is actually transformed by being yoked to Jesus. So there are two very practical applications that I just want to talk about from this passage because you need to take this concept and then apply it in your everyday life because when you apply scripture rather than just learn scripture, that's when it starts to change you. So the the two things that I would like to talk about are pattern and person. 
They're the two things we see in this scripture. Pattern and person, person and pattern, they flow, they flow in and out of each other. So if we are to rethink what it means to rest and work, we need to learn the pattern of Jesus, the rhythm of his life in our life, working day in, day out, week out and month in and month out. And we need to trust the person of Jesus to give him our worries, our anxieties and our fears. So let me start with pattern. Um, What does it mean to learn the pattern of Jesus and enter his rest? Basically, to be, yoked, to, to be yoked with Jesus is to become like Jesus. So he is the older ox. I mean, certainly that's what we understand from this scripture. And we are the younger ox. Uh, as we imitate his pattern and his life, we become more like him and we learn to discover a deeper soul rest. So many people think of Jesus as a spiritual guru, as someone who is disconnected from life, maybe an idea, maybe a concept, a revolutionary. But in reality, he was a human. God came to earth in human form. He was incarnate. He understood the life pressures of us day by day. He was accessible. He was very near. And so while he um, is a hard template to follow, we can actually model Jesus' life and learn from the way he talked, the way he related, the way he lived, the way he worked. Um, While he did a bunch of amazing things that seem inaccessible to us, like miracles, he took on political powers, he you know, loved the lepers and the brokenhearted, he, he challenged hypocrisy, he did all this amazing stuff. But um, while he transformed the world in just a few years, and while we worship him today because of that, he wasn't a workaholic. He didn't work himself to death. His pattern, his rhythm was very, very different. He actually worked from a place of rest rather than resting from a place of work. And it was his inner life, his relationship with the Father that sustained and fueled his capacity to actually get things done. So in Jesus, what I want to do in, by looking at his pattern is I want us to be able to learn a different rhythm, a different way of working and resting that we can apply to our lives today. So each day, Jesus started with silence and solitude and with prayer. He started each morning by connecting with God in a personal and relational way and it actually fueled and sustained him to start each day. Each week, Jesus kept Sabbath. So that was a full 24 hours of rest and remembrance where he took time out of the busyness of everyday life to be a human being and not a human doing. The old, old saying... Um, Now, look, if you've read the scriptures, if you're a Christian, you'll know that Jesus challenged and and transformed what we mean by Sabbath and understand by Sabbath, but he still kept Sabbath. And it's actually quite interesting that actually most of his miracles, his biggest miracles happened on a Sabbath. And I think it's because he was actually closest to his father on his day of rest. And so annually, he also took part in Jewish celebrations and rituals like Passover, which supported his identity and nourished his soul and community. So you can see this pattern uh, daily, weekly, Annually, he he had this pattern of work from a place of rest. And that's what we are invited to do ourselves. Um, If I look at productivity author, because I always quote productivity authors, uh, James Clear, he's a great blogger. um, He says, life is the sum of 100,000 daily battles and tiny choices. I really like that. Um, So we are the sum of our habits, the repetitive daily habits and behaviours that define who we are and what we're becoming day in, day out, day in, day out. Uh, So in reality, we all have a rhythm to our life. I mean, Benedict didn't create the idea of rhythm. Every single one of us in this room has a rhythm to our life, whether it's intentional or whether it's completely accidental. 
We are all yoked to something or someone, and that forms and shapes our habits. So for many of us in the digital world, it's Apple, it's Google, it's Instagram, they shape our habits. Or maybe our workplace. You know, we wake every morning, what's the first thing that many of us do? Just pull out our smartphones and it starts to shape our day. We scan Instagram, we check Facebook, we scan our emails, maybe we get a coffee, maybe we'll scroll the news, but it doesn't necessarily create a pattern and a habit of restorative inner rest. But we're being shaped in a particular way. Um, there are lots and lots of patterns where our, our annual, our weekly, our rhythm habits are shaped accidentally. And yet in Jesus, we can find a new way of shaping ourselves to be yoked to him. So um, Mark Sayers, who I just love his podcast, This Cultural Moment, uh, says this. The Western life script says that you can be your own authority and not a disciple of anyone. So essentially, the Western life script is that you aren't yoked to anyone. You're your own person. Follow your heart and you'll find your own freedom. But in reality, you are a disciple of someone. You're a disciple of the shareholders of Silicon Valley tech companies who have set the exact rhythm of your life. I work with people in New York, London, Paris, Melbourne, Hobart. Everyone has the same rhythm. It's ironic. We, we don't even understand each other's language, but when we wake up in the morning, and if you follow the patterns of executives, of leaders, of CEOs, they all basically do exactly the same thing, and they all struggle with the exact same problems because we are yoked to something or someone, and it's shaping the exact rhythms of our life, and we don't even know it. So the question in my mind, and I struggle too, you know, <laughs> I struggle too. You know, when I find myself scrolling on the toilet, I'm like, this is bad, I have to put it away. So I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but I'm trying to learn the rhythms of Jesus rather than the rhythms of Steve Jobs. Um, but the question in my mind is not whether we yoke ourselves to someone or something. The question is who and what are we yoking ourselves to? Are we yoking ourselves in a way that leads to deep and restorative rest or are we yoking ourselves towards distraction, exhaustion and this loss of inner self? So when Jesus promises, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, it is really, really true. As we learn to practice his ways and walk in his rhythm, we see a different pattern, a different reality. We can watch his life in the scriptures and model ourselves on him, and we are changed. So look, that's all I want to talk about in terms of pattern. Uh, I'm going to unpack that in more detail over the next few sermons, because there's actually a lot in the patterns of Jesus, and it gets very, very practical. So we'll look at the uh, annual rhythms of rest, um, again, I teach all these rhythms in productivity coaching because I get them from Jesus, but people pay me and they work because wisdom is wisdom. Um, but um, I hope that's okay, Jesus. But, um, so look we'll, look, we'll look at the annual rhythms of rest, like booking your holidays before you book your work. So what does it mean to actually start with rest? Uh, just like we started, you know, the creator started with the first day was rest and then we had our days of work. So what does it mean to start with rest and then uh, work from that place? Every year. We'll unpack the rhythms of Sabbath, which I think in our culture is by far the hardest, a day off of work. And I don't mean a weekend. I mean something quite different. I mean something where you are resting and remembering in a deep, heartfelt, transformative way with others. Um, we'll unpack what it means for introverts and what it means for extroverts to rest. We'll unpack what it means to rest as a family, uh, what it means to rest as a community. Uh, what does it mean to be active in your rest? You know, some people run, some people you know, sit on the couch and do Netflix, but there are patterns of rest that can actually help us. 
and uh, we'll rethink our relationship to digital technology, which has to be tackled if we're going to learn to take Sabbath in our day and age and have a heartfelt, deep restorative rest where you enter the day, you enter the week, and you feel different. Uh, And finally, the daily rhythm, starting each day with silence and solitude and prayer rather than swiping and scanning our screens. So as I said, um, let's yoke ourselves to Jesus and learn his predictable patterns, which again, Benedict learnt and saints have learnt for a lifetime. We just have to rediscover them in our day and age. Um, And let's extract ourselves from exhausting patterns that have been set by Silicon Valley. Does that sound okay? Okay, so that's the patterns. Uh, We'll move fast now. So the last one, actually I'll pause for a moment. I've just dumped a whole lot of information. Just have one moment to think about what stands out to you. Okay. Person of Jesus, come to me. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So the critical word in this passage is... Come on, you can be a bit more Pentecostal. It's a two-letter word, and it rhymes with he. Come to me. Oh gosh, it's a hard crowd. All right, so um, scripture is not primarily about pattern. It's about person and connecting yourself to Jesus relationally and spiritually and allowing him to lead. So we are the younger ox, Jesus is the older ox, and he is calling us to not carry the burden alone by ourselves to actually pass the burden to him. So again, as I said, I I train so many people and I see a lot of benefits by teaching people the patterns of rest that Jesus teaches, even if they don't know it comes from Jesus. But, um, But at the same time, you get stuck at a point if you only have the pattern of Jesus. In fact, if you only have the person of Jesus and you don't learn his pattern, you also get stuck. You need both. Um, But if you only have the pattern and you don't have the person, then you also get stuck. Um, Rest, the practices of rest without the person of Jesus don't truly transform you. You you just get stuck along the way. Um, You see, Jesus is our true rest. This comes from Mike Breen. It's not about denying your life, uh, designing your life. It's about denying yourself. In other words, if we have no transcendence in our life, if we have no connection with God, if we have no deeper meaning beyond what we see and do every day, then we get stuck in our spiritual journey. No rhythms or practices will work because it's actually not just about designing your life in yourself and making your rhythms look right. Somewhere somewhere along the way, we need to receive his grace, his gift, his rest, because it just doesn't work alone. And it's actually a very humbling way to live because um, it's about saying to God, God, I can't do it on my own. I can't fix myself. I actually need you to help me. I need you to carry my burdens. I need you to be the older ox. I need you to be the creator and I will be the created. I need you to carry my load. It's a hard and humbling thing to do, but it absolutely transforms our life. Um, And so if I go back to Eugene Peterson, walk with me, Walk, uh, walk with me and walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So it's an amazing offer. It's a promise, and it's a gift. 
we come to Jesus, the person, and we receive his practices, but we also receive his rest. So person and pattern, pattern and person, they flow in and they flow out of each other. So true rest comes from Jesus, firstly, when we learn to walk in his pattern, and lastly, when we submit ourselves and follow him and learn to yoke ourselves to him as a person. So, that's my message, but I want to conclude by taking communion, which is an ancient tradition that Jesus started more than 2,000 years ago. And we've been doing communion as his apprentices, as his followers, ever since. Um, We break bread, and we drink wine, and we remember what Jesus has done. So Jesus came to earth in human form as a human, and he lived a perfect life, and he showed us what it looked like to be, broken, uh, to be fully human, uh, to be God in human form. He was crucified, broken, and bitter people put him on a cross, and he died, and he was buried, and for three days he stayed in the ground, and then he rose again. And uh, eyewitnesses like Matthew and others actually ate with him, spent time with him, I mean, it was a miracle, and they couldn't believe that they'd seen him dead, and now they saw him alive. He rose from the dead. And um, I found this picture uh, online, of course, a painting. I don't know who did it, but you don't have to when you look up Google. Um, And uh, it's Jesus carrying a cross, obviously. But when I looked at that image, um, it actually looks a lot to me like a yoke. It's a heavy wooden yoke that he has on his neck and that he has on his shoulders. But it's not a yoke that we want to bear ourselves, is it? Um, So Jesus knew that one day when he said this promise to us, he told us that he knew that he would one day carry this yoke. He would take on our pain, our suffering and our brokenness. He would take our anxiety on his shoulders so that we could be truly free. And that's why his yoke is easy and his burden is light because he took our anxiety, our worries, our brokenness, our exhaustion onto himself. And that is why we can receive from the person of Jesus true soul restorative rest. Does that make sense? So I just want you to take a minute to reflect in silence. I'm an introvert. I love silence (laughs) so you have to too I'm sorry (laughs) and um, I'd love you to reflect just internally Uh, look what we often do at Together Church is we just you know put our hands up if we want to you don't have to but it's just a posture of openness to receive something from the Spirit of Jesus from the Holy Spirit it's just between you and God Um, but from everything that you've heard tonight what stands out to you most what has connected with you what might the Spirit of Jesus be whispering to your soul? You don't have to believe in Jesus to learn something from a talk about Jesus. Uh, what, what connects with you? So we'll just have a minute, let our heart be still and allow God to speak if he wants to.